be reading from Daniel chapter 1, beginning with verse 3 through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> then the king ordered Hashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had the ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered, them, ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them were the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. To Daniel he assigned the name of Beltasazer, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid, my lord the king, who has appointed your food and your drink, for why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are of your own age? Then he would make me forfeit my head to the king." But Daniel said to the overseer whom the command of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them, and in this manner tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, their parents seemed better, and they were far fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink, and kept giving them vegetables. And as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. And Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams." Then at the end of the days which the king has specified for, for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of them not all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all of his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. The key to that chapter is found in verse 8. But Daniel purposed. 
Other translations use words like resolved and and made up his mind. Now that word means to put, to place, to set, to appoint, to make, change, charge, commit, consider, convey, and to determine. And everything else flows from that word, that thought, that position, and that stand. Life is a series of choices, and much like the small, tiny acorn that produces the mighty oak tree, one's decisions that he makes in his life turns around and makes him. A person is today because of the decisions that he or she made when he or she was a young person years ago. And often people do not realize the importance of those decisions that were made so many years ago, especially when they were young. Where will I go to college? Will I get married? Should I get married? Who will I marry? Who will my friends be? What music will I listen to? What movies will I watch? What type of clothes will I wear? Will I drink alcohol? Will I take drugs? Will I keep myself pure? And sooner or later, the most important question of all, will I follow Jesus? Which way to go? Two roads diverge in the yellow woods. Which one will I follow? One cannot take them both. Are you familiar with Robert Frost's The Road Not Taken? Frost wrote that poem to make fun of his British friend whom he stayed with in Wales. Now, most people are not aware of that, but his friend would take him on a walk every single morning and he would he would grieve over if he took the right road or not. He wanted to show him a new place, a new trail, a new plant, a new site, something new all the time. And, and he would always grieve over if he should have taken the other way. So Robert Frost wrote the poem to poke fun at his friend and no one got it. And so he would always have to explain the poem to someone. Well, when you read the poem, you don't get that sense, do you, that he was making fun of his friend over in Wales. What you do is you do get the sense of perhaps a Daniel. A Daniel who did take the one less traveled by that did make all the difference. As we read our text, we find Daniel, the teenager, facing a crisis in Babylon. The decisions he is about to make will radically change the rest of his life. And when you first read about it, it doesn't seem like such a big deal, but later on as you continue to read, it turns out to be a very big deal indeed. The title of the sermon this morning is Dare to Be a Daniel. And as we investigate the life of this great prophet of God, let's put ourselves in his place as much as we're able. Let's look around and see what's happening in our world how things are being pressed and pushed upon us, how our culture is trying to be changed for the worse, and let's be encouraged by this young man who stood up for what was right in the face of some very difficult situations. And let's each of us dare to be a Daniel. And let's start off with Daniel's problem. That's our first point. Daniel's first problem was all of a sudden he was in a different nation. Daniel was in Babylon. He was in a strange land, having been torn away from his family by King Nebuchadnezzar and the strong army of Babylon. And because he and his friends were of noble background, the 
the king ordered them to be trained into his service, to work for a pagan king, to be a part of his government, to learn the things of his nation. They were far away from home. No temple, no priests, no teaching about God and His laws. No, now it was only being slaves in a foreign nation, hearing the pagan priests, surrounded by heathen worship, heathen images, and heathen people. That wasn't the problem. That really wasn't the problem. The problem was it would have been easy to have conformed to all of those things. That was the problem. It's easy to become like the world, especially when people believe no one is watching and only God was watching. And here's the thing. You can't see God. Christians place themselves in dangerous positions when they separate themselves from the godly. You see, Christians are a lot like coals. You take one coal away from the rest of the coals and all of a sudden that coal begins to burn out. Sometimes they somehow believe if people can't see them, then no one can see them. Then we begin to believe our own excuses for not being who we need to be when what we better be doing is being like Daniel. Have you ever noticed the very small child, when they close their eyes, they think no one else can see them either? You see, there was a problem in another nation, and there was a problem with another knowledge. One might call it Operation Assimilation. They were trying to assimilate those young men into another nation, into another thinking, into another knowledge. The king made sure those young men got the best education that Babylon had to offer. And for three years, they were immersed in the Babylonian knowledge, culture, history, language, and their religion. Their Jewish names were changed in favor of new Babylonian names. And at the end of that time, they entered into the king's service. They were guaranteed high-level governmental jobs. It was a sophisticated form of brainwashing is what it was, aimed at making them forget their past and to form a new allegiance to the king and his pagan way of life. Does that sound familiar at all? Does that sound like anything that might happen in our time today? That's happening right now. That's happening all over our nation as we send our young people off to college and you've seen it and I've seen it. And if we think for a second that isn't happening in the universities and colleges in our nation today, we're fooling ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. That is why it is so important for families to rear young people like Daniel. You see, Daniels don't just happen. Daniels are reared by those who decide they want to be like a Daniel. That's why Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that is in thee also. Why was he so persuaded that that faith was in Timothy as well? Because his grandmother and his mother made sure that they reared Timothy 
in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6 verse 4. Now, if a child chooses to ignore that once they get grown, that's their choice and that's their free will to do that. But there's a greater chance that a child will grow to love the God of heaven if they are reared in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord just like Daniel was. Part of the assimilation into Babylonian culture was also a change in diet. Now as we look at this happening going on in a new nation and under a new knowledge, everything seemed to have been going smooth until one teenager determined he wasn't going to continue with the program. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Now that was a crucial event in the life of Daniel that would impact him for the next 60 years. Now, from our perspective, we look at that and we think, that looks odd. That sounds odd. What's the problem? Of course, we aren't Jews. We aren't living in Babylonian captivity, so it's difficult to understand what the problem is. What's the problem from eating from the king's table? I kind of like the sound of that. Eating good from the king's table? Better than just eating a a, a diet of vegetables 24-7? Why not eat from the king's table? After all, didn't Daniel accept the bondage? Didn't he accept the education? Didn't he accept the name change? If one isn't going to be concerned at all by all those things, why worry about the food? I believe here are some of the answers to those questions. Well, he had to take part in the pagan education, but he could disregard those things that he knew to be wrong or untrue. And after all, when you send your kid off to college, and they come back and they're a little worried about the biology test that they're taking and they ask some questions uh, about that test and they say, you know, they're going to ask me about evolution and I know what they want the answer to be. And you say, well, you give them the answer they're looking for. That doesn't mean that's the correct answer. That's the answer that they want from the book they're teaching out of. That doesn't mean you believe that answer. And you know that that's not true. But you're taking a class that's teaching that stuff. You know that's not true. Daniel had to face that, didn't he? Daniel had to face an education that was full of pagan beliefs. That doesn't mean that you believe what they're teaching. That just means that's part of that course. You're not endorsing that. You're giving them the answer that the book stated. Daniel had to face that. He had to put up with being called a pagan name, but he knew a name alone didn't define who he was. He had no control over what they called him. He had to eat pagan food, but you see at that point, he couldn't escape what it represented. Now he couldn't do that. He couldn't cross that line. Now it is interesting, probably what seems the least important to us was the most important to Daniel. He had to draw a line in the sand. But that young man, you see, he had a proper sense of priorities. And he knew where to say no more. He knew where to say no more. Notice the purpose in Daniel's heart. That's our second point. 
His dedication was not to defile himself. And there were at least three reasons why he would not eat from the king's table. First, it would not have been prepared according to the dietary laws of the Old Testament, and it would have been ritually unclean. Second, all the wine and most of the meat would have been offered to idol gods. If we're talking about the wine, it might have been alcoholic wine. He wouldn't have drank that. If it had been the grape juice that he could have drank, it would have been offered to idol gods. And to have eaten in that situation would have given his endorsement to that pagan religion. Third, Daniel knew and understood sharing a meal at the king's table represented sharing the king's values. We understand what it means to eat at someone's table, doesn't it? That has a symbolic meaning even today. That implies a friendship. That implies support. That implies endorsement. And that implies shared values. Paul told those in Corinth to avoid the brother who was living in sin with his stepmother. He told them not to even eat with that man. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 11. So in the end, Daniel could obey the king and he could even serve in his government. But Daniel could not pretend to be friends with him. And to eat that food in that situation represented a moral compromise of everything in which Daniel believed. Therefore, he dedicated himself to not doing it. Now notice his desire in his purpose. His desire was he was going to do the right thing. It didn't matter what happened. He risked angering the king who would not appreciate hearing that some teenage kid from Israel had said he was not going to eat at his table. No way could that be made to sound good. In fact, that was going to sound like rebellion. And we all know what the ancient kings did when it came to rebellion, right? Let's look at it from a different perspective now. Let's look at some of the excuses Daniel didn't use. One might ask, why he might have eaten the king's food. After all, he was far away from home. No one back in Jerusalem would know about it. He could have eaten from that table. Not a single person back home would have ever found out about it unless Daniel told them. Almost everyone else was eating the food with no complaints whatsoever. They were already in captivity already, weren't they? What were they going to do? Throw them in jail? They were already there. He might have said, what difference does it make? Mightn't he have asked, doesn't God understand it's only food? And we can eat it and not mean it, can't we? Can't we eat the food and not mean it? If I'm going to get ahead in this new nation, I need to do what they tell me to do, right? What about this? People are going to think I'm narrow-minded, I'm legalistic, if I raise such a fuss over food, it's just food. You see, there was a reason for the dietary laws. The dietary laws weren't put in place for health reasons. Now, that was a benefit. There's always a benefit. 
The dietary laws were put into place to show a separation of God's people from everyone else. That was the purpose of the dietary laws. God's people are supposed to be separated. But you see, a person can always find an excuse when they do not want to do the right things. But you see, Daniel didn't have to find an excuse. He already had decided that he was going to do the right thing no matter what happened. Remember, he had purposed in his heart. He had made up his mind. He couldn't decide for anyone else, but he could decide for himself. And he had done that. Now, we aren't told if he had tried to convince anyone else. And it doesn't matter. But he had convinced himself what he was going to do. And we do know that his three friends had decided they would follow in his footsteps. The Babylonians could change everything. They could try to change his diet. They could change his location. They could change his education. They could change his language. And they could even change his name. But they could not change his heart. They could not change His character. The world can change a lot about what we are, but they cannot change who we are if we don't allow it. The world cannot make a Christian stop being a Christian. It cannot make us put anything before God. Work, pleasure, friends, family. None of those things. Now, we may choose all of those things before God, but that's on us. That's our choice, right? Daniel did not choose his circumstances over God. And because of that, we can see his promotion. That's our third and our final point. Daniel's excellence was noticed. He, along with the other three, were healthier than all the others. You see, when... One follows God. He never fails us. God will never leave us. He's not going to forsake us. We can always count on God, Hebrews 6, 13 through 19. Now, what that doesn't mean is this. Bad things will never happen to good people. That's not what it means. Bad things happen in this life. And it even happens to good folks sometimes. But what it does mean is that the faithful will get to heaven and that all the things that happened in this life, heaven will be worth it. 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. through 8. After three years of this operation assimilation, those four men stood before the king with all those other folks. And they were ten times better than all of the other people in the whole of the nation. God will honor those who honor Him. Again, One does not serve God for the benefit, but there is a benefit in serving God. John said we love Him because He first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. But the key to serving God is endurance. Endurance. Now we're not told how long Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael served God in Babylon. But we do know Daniel endured in a place of power and prominence for 70 years. In fact, he faced the lions when he was almost 90 years old. And he never stopped loving and serving God that entire time. He would have never remained in a place of prominence if he had. Jesus told the disciples, 
and you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Matthew 10, 22. Daniel would not compromise, dare to be a Daniel in this life. A giant 400-year-old redwood fell one day. I don't know if you've seen the redwoods out in northern California, but they are enormous. No one could really determine why it had fallen. After all, the tree had survived centuries of storms, lightning, earthquakes, and fires. However, on closer inspection, it was found that tiny beetles had found its way inside the trunk of the great tree. And it had begun to eat away at the life-giving fibers, weakening its mighty bulk from the inside out. In much the same way, Satan tries to bring Christians down through a steady stream of seemingly insignificant temptations. While one resists him in one area, he is attacking in another. And if we're not careful, without even realizing it, we begin to compromise, thinking it's okay to do this or it's okay to do that. But the person who fails God in, in this life is the person who started making compromise in his or her life. To endure to the end, one must always dare to be a Daniel. One must purpose to determine in his or her mind what he or she will do and what he or she will not do. And those things must be in alignment with what God wants. God wants us to go to heaven. To go to heaven, one must be a child of God. To be a child of God, we have to obey the gospel plan of salvation, of faith and repentance, confession, immersion in water for the forgiveness of sins, and endurance to the end. Just like Daniel. Endure to the end. Now along the path, sometimes we get out of Whack, and we step out of the light. John talked about walking in the light, 1 John 1, 7 through 9. As we walk in the light, His blood, talking of Jesus, will continually cleanse us. But if we step out of the light, that blood no longer is in contact with us. So we have to do something about that. Well, James said, we are to confess our faults one to another and pray for one another that our sins can be forgiven. If we're in need of that, we know that is the second law of pardon. What a Christian has to do is we don't go back through the, the plan of salvation after having been baptized and added to the Lord's church. What the fallen Christian does is he asks God to forgive him. You repent, you confess that sin. It might have to be publicly if it's of a public nature. But if not, you do that privately, you ask God to forgive you, and He will. And then again, that person is walking in the light, in contact with Christ's blood continually. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.